you got to think, you step back to this old technology. A lot of it was created before encryption was even a thing, you know. So as we come on, you know, I was like, you know, we got to make sure we encrypt this stuff. And, you know, that's that's sometimes a hard process if you don't build it from the ground up. You got to go back in and put those type of coding changes in. And if that's money that you're not going to get a return on. Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the cloud as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Hello and welcome to Altitude, everyone. I'm your host, Woody Woodworth. Extra special guest today, super excited. Today, we're going to talk to Justin Payne. Justin is a senior infrastructure security architect at Mueller Water, to be formal Mueller Water products. And uh, as I was doing research for this podcast, I found out that they are a huge company. And in fact, they're one of the largest manufacturers and distributors of fire hydrants, gate valves, and critical water infrastructure for all of North America. So really important, cool company. Justin, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Woody. Absolutely. So we have a lot to talk about today. I know when you and I chatted earlier as we were getting ready for the episode, we talked a lot about your journey into cloud and kind of the before and after. I think this is a great opportunity to take that discussion further insofar as Mueller Water Products, like a lot of big utility companies, represents a kind of a, a perfect uh, example, a company that really knew nothing about cloud, say what, maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, yep. and then you have helped that company evolve now into this digital transformation play. Of course, there may have been some bumps in the road, but I really want to dig into what that was like for you, for your company, but also how the cloud has really changed the way your company works and operates. So uh, that's a fantastic avenue of discussion. And since you're a security architect, of course, I'm sure we'll, we'll weave that discussion in as well. So how long have you been with the company? So I've been at Mueller for 10 years. I've been in IT for roughly 30 years. Um, so a third of my career has been here at Mueller. Uh, before that, I was bouncing around doing the the infrastructure, server, networking type of uh, career. So when I got here at Mueller, it was uh, right after the 2008, 2009, kind of the, the downfall of housing and they'd done all the foreclosures and Housing is big at Mueller, shows water, you know, when you start to put subdivisions and things like in, you need water infrastructure. So that's that's really where we get a lot of our revenue from. So because of the financial uh, downturn during that period, when I got here in uh, early 2013, I, everything was old. It was outdated. Hardware was seven, 10 years old. You know, resources couldn't keep up with where they was. So, so absolutely. So over that past 10 years, we started updating uh, on-premise, but then as the cloud really started to become more of a sector for, for our manufacturing you know, type uh, industry, we started really looking at, okay, what can we do? We'd already had office.com, you know, office some little Azure, but AWS was really where we started to look to put our to put all of our eggs in that basket as far as our OT and things like that. So great. You've been around long enough to know where all the bodies are buried. So that's a good thing. So I'm just going to ask yep. all kinds of cool questions, shoot from the hip, and I'm yeah. looking yep. forward to the answer. So how did the conversation about cloud migration start for your company? Was it the competition and other businesses in our sector are moving, so we need to go with the herd to make sure that we're not left behind? 
Was it an analysis of what the cloud could bring to your business? And you thought kind of independently of the market, this is what we need to do to deliver the best products and services? Or was it a combination of those things? It was probably a combination of those things. You know, you, you got to kind of think of where we was, 150-year-old company. Everything was old. It was built on physical boxes. We kind of, you know, virtualized a lot of that over the, over the that past five or six years that I'd been here. But we were still running uh, OT, you know, like uh, meters and collectors and hubs and that back-end process is all on heavy, heavy equipment, you know, big servers, things like that. And then we would do the old traditional, you know, natted out, uh, you know, you nat your ports out through a firewall so somebody could access some type thing. And you you had very, you know, older type uh, technology there. And so so when we started looking at where we was and where the industry was going, Mueller knew they had to transition from being just a fire hydrant. We owned, I think at that point, 80, 87% of the market of fire hydrants and things like that. So it was like, okay, if we're really going to be in this space moving forward, we've got to be agile. We've got to be able to really move at a quicker pace and, and, you know, spinning up a virtual machine, installing IS and installing, you know, .NET type uh, uh, products, uh, programs on there. It was really just kind of a, a hard process. So that's where we really become. We started looking to say, okay, where do we need to go? AWS was our cloud of choice. Now, uh, nobody had AWS experience in our in our company, uh, really. So they started hiring developers and coders and firmware people that were kind of around that process. And then I kind of got handed the security infrastructure, setting up everything in AWS so that then they could use that as their playground as we began. So it was really just a, a process of, hey, how can we do this quickly to really get at, start getting ahead because we were behind and AWS provided us the, the most simple and quick solution for that. So here you are working at the helm of the security architecture division of a 150-year-old company that's done real traditional blue chip business, right? Making water meters, fire hydrants, just tangible critical stuff through, I'm sure, traditional manufacturing mechanisms. As you mentioned, the whole vacuum was on metal. The call goes to cloud probably from the executive tier. So when that call goes out, who laid down to the tracks at your company and said, over my dead body, and what happened to them? Well, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. What happened was those those kind of sectors kind of took care of themselves because as part of that process, Mueller was transitioning internally. They moved, they closed some segments of the business. They kind of consolidated everything from our at our corporate headquarters. So they kind of started fresh at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, we still had the old systems, and unfortunately, the people that knew the systems left, and then that becomes its own obstacle, which is not really a cloud thing, but it's 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 the ability to lose all that experience. Part of that whole journey. Like, yeah, you're not unique there where the new guard comes in, the new developers, the new kids, and the old guard gets a whiff of yep. that and says, yep. you know what, I think I'm going to go find another pasture to occupy. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you're exactly right, Woody. And we still today have people that are like, I'm not touching the, the cloud at all, you know, in IT or different segments, you know, because there's a stigma to it or, or you know, a lack of control or, you know, in IT, you get beat up a lot when things are down. Well, you know, sometimes it's not your problem in the cloud and you, you don't have a, a, a throat to choke in that instance, you know, so it's like, you know, and they come to us still. So there, there are still those people that won't touch it. I, I wasn't real keen on going to the cloud. I didn't know it, but because I, I always never shied away from a battle or, or I liked the experience, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take on that side. And really what happened was, first thing I asked them was, was there a budget? And we, we'll talk about this in a few minutes. And they're like, 
no, we just got to get there. And I was like, do you know how much the thing's going to cost? And there were, you know, the executives always think things are cheaper in the cloud. So I was like, okay, I don't know enough to even tell you at that point. I said, I can tell you what I think I know, which is it's not going to be cheaper in the end if you don't do it right and do it around certain aspects of, of things. So, so we really just got in there and started uh, the process. And unfortunately, we, we was immature with how we started. So now we're having to clean up a little bit and, and move forward. But it was really just a, create an account, start working our way, talk to AWS a little bit, you know, and really pull in our good security. So we, we did do good security and infrastructure at the start, but but a lot of the a lot of the actual front end type stuff was was a big challenge of how to how to utilize AWS versus bare metal type systems. Right. Yeah, that that knowledge gap, skills gap is of course super common for any company first beginning their journey to cloud. And that learning curve is can be really steep. And through that you can shed some talent, you can gain some talent. You're definitely gonna Learn the hard way. I mean, the customers I work with over the years, none of them ever anticipated some of the challenges they hit. But after they got over those big obstacles, they were very happy with the end result. But the the process was was choppy, you know. And I think people assumed that there was going to be an easy button. So, you know, as we know, on the infrastructure side, security side, there there is no easy button. What was it like for you to go through that learning curve? How did you bring yourself up to speed on cloud? Did you self-educate? Did you bring in <laughs> consultants? Did you just try, try again? What happened? Well, so, yeah, so I always do things the hard way, I think. Uh, so, you know, I still had all my own premise stuff that I had to secure, you know. So the cloud was more of a, it, it really was, uh, while it was a goal and a, and a mission at that time, and, and it has transitioned, the viewpoint has transitioned drastically, but at that point, it was no on-premise type stuff from a internal thing. It was more of the customer-facing stuff they wanted out there. So I still had the day-to-day -day securing our environment, you know, 20-something uh, uh, sites and, you know, all these devices, all these users. So I had that. And then on my off time, literally, you know, I, I'd work up five or six extra hours a day doing the AWS side. And yes, you talk about the easy button. The hard part of this whole process was that because people didn't know the work that goes into it, they thought it should be done a lot faster. You know, it was like, okay, this thing should, could be done in a week, you know, and I'm like, no, you know, uh, if we're going to build this right, it's going to take time. So I did, I started doing a lot of research, a lot of reading. Uh, I'm, I'm, I like to get there and hack. So I built that account so many times, probably at the start and destroyed it that, that I didn't know. When, when I started, it was the, the documentation, AWS wanted you to use everything as theirs. So they come in and it's like, hey, you don't need, you don't need, you know, to do your own firewalling for east to west traffic, or you don't need to, to worry about this. AWS has everything. You don't worry about logging. AWS has CloudTrail or whatever it might be. And, and you know, as I quickly learned that AWS really wanted to sell their services and not necessarily put the best foot forward in some of those areas. So I was the one, I like, I like to really make sure I do it right. So we brought in our own systems to a point. We used AWS where it was practical, but you know, when we started using some of AWS's stuff and some other tools, we, we started quickly noticing that there was some issues with uh, speed or being able to scale and, and do some things just because we were locked in one way or another. So that's where we started looking at Aviatrix and different products to kind of supplement that. But yes, it was a lot of, a lot of Googling, a lot of YouTube, a lot of, uh, I did a couple posts on Reddit, please help me. I've got two days to finish this, how to do a, you know, how to get this transit working or, you know, how do I, how to, how do I nap this out through a source net, you know, and it was stressful, but, uh, 
It took me about a year to really get comfortable where I was able to, to really wrap up and, and do what I want to do. But it, it, it was a lot of off time because Mueller, while they wanted it, they didn't want me to lose my regular time. Did you feel like you got sold, not like a lemon car, but that, <laughs> you know, the promise and the expectation of what it would be was way out of proportion against what it was from from AWS or any CSP. I'm not trying to single them out. I would say yeah. that the way yeah. they approach, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. you know, their messaging and marketing is just going to be ubiquitous across the industry. But I, I'm going to bet they said, you know, this is going to be really easy or straightforward. Use all of our stuff. It's the cure for world hunger. And then you get in there and you realize. So what were some of the things you quickly realized were not working the right way? When we started looking at this and I got that call and said, hey, we were with AWS and we want you to do the setup and all the infrastructure type stuff to get ready for them. I went down and I met with basically the engineering directors and the, the developers and, you know, they were they were all new hires, probably been there less than two months. AWS brought a team, I think, of seven people in. I, it was me, seven AWS people and, you know, a handful of Mueller new people. And I was the one that was pushing to do it right in my eyes, which was, hey, I, I want to see traffic. I want to be able to control traffic. I want to be able to secure the traffic. And AWS was there saying, hey, we've got a service. You don't have to worry about that. And literally, it was me arguing against my own people at Mueller and and AWS. And, you know, they were like, well, AWS tells us we can do this for nothing or we can do it for just pennies on the dollar. And and I'd already went into that meeting with a lot of research. I, I knew in my head what I wanted to do. I talked to, you know, some of the providers we use, like Palo Alto, things like that. So I really knew kind of what I wanted to do from that aspect. I talked to some people who had done it before. And thankfully, they needed my input, my help. So they, they gave me the approval to move forward. But yes, so quickly what I, I got in there and realized was that, you know, back then, at least when we started, AWS has copied a lot of technology from a lot of vendors. So they're, they're further up now. So when I say this, people are going to say, oh, that, that technology is there. It wasn't there when I started. But, you know, just the simple thing to see east to west traffic or VPC peering, things like that just wasn't there. So we, we were having... Uh, because we wanted to have staging and dev and QA accounts and have some granular, uh, you know, things there where we could bring in contractors and consultants to work in a, a limited. Because you got to think, a lot of our customers are utilities. So so that data is very sensitive. That data is very uh, controlled because the last thing we want is somebody getting in there and shutting off water system, you know, water uh, water for for, you know, a thousand people, a million people. Uh, so we really want to control those environments and so I quickly got in there and realized that what they wrote on paper and an AWS documentation, either it didn't didn't really fly when you got practical or there was a lot of limitations. You could do it, but you could only do it to this point or you could only have so many of these, whether it be anything from like a load balancer number or, or you know, IPs or elastic IPs, things like that. There were a lot of limitations that we had to work through. And, and some of that evolved through bringing on products like Aviatrix and, and Palo Alto to do some of that. Sure. I want to go back a little bit and talk about costs because you had mentioned that was another one of those things that was blown out of proportion in terms of the expectation of what cloud could do for your business. Now, everyone I've talked to has a similar story, which is that the initial idea of going to cloud was to be innovative, to be faster and to save money. And tends to be, if you want to save money in cloud, you have to give up a lot of control and visibility and functionality, right? So that's why you are bringing in ABHX, right. you are bringing in Palo Alto, you're bringing in all these independent software vendor, third-party systems to give you that 
control and visibility that you needed. But then if you don't scale the right way, cost can go up. And in fact, some people argue that cloud has never been about cost. There's a whole you know movement going online now about pull the plug on cloud, go back to on-prem and people saying, uh, you know, I build converged right. infrastructure and it's 200 servers and I'm saving 4 million a year or something to this effect. And so they've turned their nose up yep. at the idea that cloud is actually beneficial to them. What is your experience there? Is it, is it worth it? And what are you doing to help control costs? Great questions. Great questions. So let me, let me step back a little bit too. So I would almost want to say, at least for in my experience over the years was that cloud cost was sold to executives so that leadership could get into cloud. They would tell leadership, hey, it's going to be cheaper. And leadership, that's all they want to hear. So they'll give a blank check, you know, hey, go for it. If it's going to cost us less in the long run, go for it. What, what, that just gets it going. And then, then the reality sits in. So what happened with us was uh, because we had new hires, we had new people that maybe didn't understand the complete product as well from a coding standpoint, they literally just lifted and shifted a lot of those bare metals into EC2 instances. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the quickest way. It was the fastest way to get to quote unquote cloud. Now at that point, really all we was, was uh, using somebody else's data center. You know, it, we, we weren't using it as, as pure cloud. That cost quickly escalated. And that's where when you start running, you know, large number of EC2 instances, large number of data, you know, storage, things like that, ingress, egress costs, and things like that, you quickly go up. So we were immature in that aspect, and we just didn't, didn't have the knowledge to rewrite those at that point. So moved it all over, and then all of a sudden the cost went up, and then cost becomes a factor. I thought you said cost was going to be cheaper. I thought you were going to be better. So then what happens is we start that process of maturing, just like anybody. You know, when, when you're a young teenager, uh, when, I, when I was growing up, it's all about how fast I could do something, how quick I could do it better than somebody and get out there. As I matured, it's not always the hare that wins the race. It's sometimes that tortoise. So so we're now more mature and like, okay, now that we've got it out there, how do how do we start changing those bare metal type products that run on, you know, IS or services that are more expensive? You know, doing um, uh, Windows licensing is very expensive in AWS, but you can transpose that over to a to an AWS service and, you know, save it. We, you know, API gateways were new to us, you know, all those type of things. Mm -hmm. So now as we've progressed, we really have started rewriting a lot of our, our older processes that are still valid into more of a service base, which is saving money. But then also as we develop new products, we're developing them the right way from the start. And, and that is starting to mitigate some of that cost. Uh, but to your point, I, I don't know if it'll ever be cheaper than doing on-prem, you know, per se, because if you do it right, you can, you can scale pretty big, but it has definitely given us a more agile, a more feature set, you know, those things that AWS offers, you can't really do on-prem unless you're AWS because of the, the money to put that infrastructure into place at a start. So definitely, definitely done better in that sense. Now, we have also now moved more to a cloud first for on-premise, you know, where it makes sense too. So over those years, the value of not having a data center internally, some of that value is seen. Okay, if we move everything to the cloud, then it's different money and it's a different way to look at it. So we have started transitioning some of those servers that we've used over there to AWS as well. Yeah, that is a really common story. 
among a lot of businesses that migrate to cloud. The beginning with the lift and shift, the sticker price goes up because none of the applications are refactored for cloud. They're not taking advantage of, you know, the agile, more managed PaaS services. Then as you gain maturity, you begin to refactor and you begin to recoup costs and, and hit your stride. The foil to that, though, is that the more you get in, indoctrinated into managed services and agile things, the more control you lose and the more visibility yep. you lose. So you kind of have to maybe change expectations among some people, application owners, about how well you can support their application or the kind of security you can provide. Yep. Absolutely. And and not only that, Woody, is what happens, at least from where I look at it, is, as we said before, the, that old guard leaves, but a lot of uh, companies are now bringing in contractors and consultants to do this because, you know, they know AWS. And then what happens is it gets too expensive. They can't keep up that hourly rate. They they migrate out. Perfect example is, you know, we do some database and uh, development, things like that for our stuff. Well, a lot of that, you know, is contracted out at times. And then when, when that contract gets finished or gets too expensive or downturned in business, contractors are the first to go. Well, that knowledge is not always transferred mm -hmm. how to run it. So then you have to, you have to kind of dig into that. So that cost is not even associated because it, it's kind of a, a fake labor cost in my perspective. It's like, oh, we got this done. We didn't hire somebody. Well, you got them done off of a, a capital project or off of something like that. And then you can't, can't keep that going. So uh, what I do find is we do have a lot of knowledge gaps at times in those areas, uh, not not about our products, but more about the AWS side, because they'll outsource that in to quickly knock that out. So it knows a SageMaker or knows RDS or knows uh, QuickSight or so, some of those AWS services. And then once they get it set up and stamp it, it's all good. They go, but you know, it's an ongoing continuous maintenance that you have to do. You, you can't afford the three or $400 an hour for a contractor to sit there and do that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's the cost of the service, and then there's the cost of the brain drain, right? Which is if you don't have That's yep. either the right tools for talent to maintain your cloud and operate it moving forward, then that hidden cost rears yep. its ugly head. There's a lot to say, I think, about platforms that help customers help themselves insofar as if you can use a lot of automation and abstraction to take the complexity out of operating and managing the cloud. It helps people do more with less, right? I, th I think you have to in the cloud. And that was a big shift for us. You know, when we were running on-prem, there was very little automation in that sense. Now, now that we're cloud, you know, that, that has to be a step first because, yeah. you know, you need to be able to repeat it. You need to be able to transfer that over. But then, you know, the people write that automation, whoever takes it over after that person wrote it has to understand what it does yeah. or what happens if they click a button and don't do what they want to do and they get frustrated or make a mistake. Let's talk more about security now. What is it like to be in charge of the security ecosystem for, I don't know how many meters and sensors you guys have, probably hundreds of thousands that feed into cloud. How did you go about developing a plan to, to secure them? And did you find that the tools that cloud gave you were adequate for this? Boy, that, that was a big thing. So I get a lot of anxiety when, when I think about cloud security because when you are doing security for an on-premise, on you know, just your traditional data center type environment, it's very controlled. You, you have a badge, you scan to get into that room, 
You know, nobody used to touch that equipment. Nobody can power it off. Nobody can do those things. And all that was very well controlled, you know, and you can imagine, uh, you know, uh, manufacturing companies have been around mature like us. You know, it's very limited who, who has access to do those type of things. Now, fast forward to security in the cloud, it's, it's a little bit like the Wild Wild West. You know, you got automation that, that has elevated permissions. Uh, you have people that get hired that really don't know AWS or don't know cloud and don't know security for sure. Don't know. They're given more permissions and rights than what they should because they have to work the whole process. You know, DevOps now is, you know, in IT, I'm an old school, like I only give you exactly what you want and then I make you scream and cry for it to get that. You know, DevOps it's kind of a whole new process, at least for in my mind, because now that dev uh, operations person has pretty much access to spin up a machine, expose that machine, you know, do what what has to do through that through that life cycle. And so I had to make sure that you know not only now is my edge from a NAT or a gateway type secure. Now we've got APIs that's got to be secure. We've got hard drive uh, images, EBSs and stuff floating out there. You know that anybody could mount if done wrong or. You know, you got all these environments that you got to look for. So it definitely changed the infrastructure of how we do things. And and what we really did was from the start, we said, hey, we want to see every bit of our east-west traffic. So we put that in place. We wanted a good backbone of not just relying on AWS infrastructure type stuff like VPC peering or things like that. We, we wanted a system that allowed us to quickly add multiple accounts, bridge that into a really fast backbone off of AWS. And that's why we with Aviatrix, uh, it was really a godsend. When I first designed it, we did the traditional uh, VPC transit, which was like an IPsec transit. So we had like a firewall. Each account was tied through a VPN into that firewall. It had a lot of limitations. It was, you know, 700 and something. I think it was, uh, you know, megabits, uh, uh, you know, a second or whatever it was. It was very, it, we we would top those out when you start pulling over the end. So we had a lot of limitations and ping times were up and a lot of that older software was very sensitive so not only was I having to deal with security, I was having to learn AWS infrastructure as well, you know, and like, how do I get it faster in the cloud? You know, on-prem, I know I can put me a, you know, a 10 gig backbone, buy me a couple of Cisco switches, run my cable and, and make sure my NICs are up to speed. I do pretty well. In the cloud, you know, you've got all these variables, you've got all these things you, you've got to be able to tie together. So not only was we working on security, was also having to build infrastructure the right way too, so that all these accounts could talk quickly. As far as security, what we kind of started was just the basic. I want to make sure I know all my traffic flowing, be able to isolate and stop, you know, maybe this account from talking to that account or that VPC talking to this or that machine even talking to this machine and really just started it at a, at a pure allow zero trust environment. And then we started building our IAM in a granular fashion and what we do actually, I'm sure, you know, Mueller people probably see this. I'm, I'm not the most popular person sometimes because I we don't allow anyone to expose anything in AWS unless they go through our security. So we look through every bit that gets exposed and we try to run as much through like a Verizon or AT&T or those type of things that our collectors will use. We try to run those in, in a IPsec into our AWS environment where we can to keep them off the public traffic. But but we do have a number of things that can't run that way. But when we do have to expose something, we do really take a very secure and sensitive approach. It has to run through a pretty good process on ours to get exposed. Kind of like you said earlier, I mean, it's easy to knock the cloud service providers because they gained a tremendous amount of capability and maturity. But looking five years ago, this idea of IoT over the internet was so bright and shiny and hey, just 
spin up an IoT listener, point your devices to it. It's going to be safe. It's encrypted. It will use the internet. It will hit our global edge quickly. And then you're one and done. You know, just let everything be public. Don't worry about private networks. The application will provide the necessary security and the permissions. You know, hindsight being what it is, that architecture really did not resonate with a lot of the energy and utility companies I worked with. I mean, first of all, the promise that the application was going to be secure was not true because to your point, yep, yep. you have to give a lot of elevated permissions to, de to DevOps people. Probably the biggest area of attack would be a wrong permission or a compromised permission getting into that application and mining data or implanting malware and then controlling sensors. Yep. And then the idea that the internet is a trusted conduit is, was a hard pill for a lot of businesses to swallow. So what they ended up doing is what you talked about, which is backhauling it through private networks and then bringing it yep. in via VPN and so forth. Was it that just you were concerned about the fact that there were too many eyes on the internet and even though you had TLS, maybe these ciphers just weren't strong enough and the certificates weren't trustworthy enough? Or was it that the performance of the internet was just not reliable enough? Or was it just that the path that the internet would take is kind of like a roll of the dice, right? It's a best effort yeah. network. You don't have any guarantees on reliability or service like you do with MPLS and that that was hard. So in terms of an IoT play, what do you think the biggest challenge is there with using internet as the backhaul? I think you hit a lot of the points. For us, you got to think, you step back to this old technology. A lot of it was created before encryption was even really a thing. You know? So as we come on, you know, I was like, you know, we got to make sure we encrypt this stuff. And, you know, that's, that's sometimes a hard process. If you don't build it from the ground up, you got to go back in and put those type of coding changes in. And of course, that's, that's money that you're not going to get a return on. So a lot of that stuff, if we didn't have built in like TLS or didn't have built in things, that's where we would look at the VPN type scenarios where we could encapsulate it. You know, we would run LoRaWAN or we'd run cellular modems, low bandwidth, low battery type systems, uh, modems out there on these collectors and hubs. And basically they would create a VPN when they communicated two or three times a day and they would just transfer it over. So everything was kind of, it was still over, over just cell service, but it was, it was very encrypted at that point through our VPN where now we're building things from the ground up, more strategic, more security, that's where we have more freedom to, to utilize some of those API security, uh, you know, feature sets or just basic cloud, you know, security that we could not do at the start. Right. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. It's one thing to be agile in the cloud. It's another thing to try to go update the software stack on a water meter that was built in 1995, uh, and make yep. it hip to internet like that. That's just not going to happen. Or if it does, it's going to cost so much money be so disruptive that it's yep. just not worth it. Yep. There will always be systems out there that need a different level of security. You have to do IPsec. You, you can't pivot everything. That's especially true in the energy and public sector market, right? I mean, if it's all software, oh, it it's a different story. But you guys are very much analog, right? I mean, you're dealing with physical meters. Yep. They're yep. probably mechanical. Yep. Trying to get those adapted to cloud means you have to build more traditional style networks using an overlay technology, right? Where on-premise, you might have to buy more hardware, like it, there's a whole procurement process, waiting, things like that. You're not as agile to really 
drop and add services like that. We're in the cloud. The nice thing is I could run a true IPsec backend where we, where we tunnel those things right into a private network and still talk to the same systems that, you know, as we grew, we could expose through API or through, you know, just just playing exposure through different services of AWS. So the nice thing about it was the cloud allowed us that freedom to use multiple type of systems, but yet secure it kind of through the same window pane, you know, same glass. Right. There might be technically two different segments, two, two different flows, but at the end, the being able to tie that all into a cloud environment was really nice. And Aviatrix was a big piece of that as well for us. What do you think the greatest advantage was for your business moving to cloud? I know, you know, we spent, as we kind of do on this show, a lot of the time just talking about nut and bolt challenges. You know, I wanted to make sure that the listeners understand what it means to take a business that has the heritage and history that your business has and pivot that to cloud. I'm sure it was worth it. Talk to me about the advantages. If you could nail it down to maybe two or three things that have really made a difference in your business, what would they be? One is the ability to maximize our products in a quick and efficient manner. By that, I mean, if we look at how us as consumers view, you know, we, we get updates in our camera software, updates in you know, our, our whatever whatever little uh, SaaS product we use or an app we use, there's all these features, you know, profile, or you can look at all the data and you can do all these neat things and see all these features of something. Well, what we've allowed at Mueller was before it was a very slow process, ramp time to, to market, go to market for a feature. Because not only did you have to write the code, write the software, write the GUI, then you had to make sure your backend was good, stable, had all that stuff in place. AWS has allowed us to take and get the most features out of our product quicker. If, for instance, we want to deploy some new feature, now we don't have to go and put new hardware in. We can just launch it and, and spin it up as a service in AWS and, and work off of that. So I, th I think the ability to really quickly update our product and offer new features is a big thing. But also the data in itself is mm. huge. If you've got to think where water technology kind of is winning. You know, we, we do leak detection, we do pressure monitoring. We can tell, you know, where a leak is precisely without you having to dig up the, the line. And we're even able now through AWS and through some of these services, like through uh, machine learning, is able to actually predict when a pipe might fail because we, we've tracked it. We know that it fails every 30 years, every 50 years, every 75 years, or that's got too much pressure coming through it. Now with AWS and through the cloud in general, uh, that, that machine learning and that, that data mining and those data lakes, the ability to pull all that data in and quickly use it to then offer the customer features that we could never do. Like, hey, you know, this pipe, we put that in, or this valve is uh, 30 years old, or this hydrant, whatever it is, you know, th th it's going to break. And we can do it precisely, pretty powerful. That is extremely powerful. Yeah, I can see how that would have benefits, not just to customers in your business, but the environment all up, right? Water is your critical resource, yep. finite, especially fresh water. And the amount of water you can save just through that early leak detection and to replace a pipe that you yes. know is going to go faulty before it even breaks. I mean, of course, you're saving the customer the service interruption, but just the amount of water you can save and the environmental impact of that has to be huge. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And it's been huge for us because like I said, when we can actually ship them the part before it breaks and say, hey, you need to change that. And that first time that they don't do it and it breaks within a, you know, a week or two of period when we said it would, they're like, oh, wow. And now instead of having to put crews on reactive, they can put them on proactive. You know, they can say, hey, you know, let, let's let's start replacing these because these are going to break first. Even though this one's older, we've had more history in this area of, you know, so when you can build those patterns and present that in beautiful GUIs and and presentation methods to the, to the customer, it really starts to help. And you really can't do that without, you know, millions and millions of dollars of yeah. hardware on-premise. Yeah. You know? Well, Justin, this has been fantastic. As always, I learned so much on these episodes. I feel like my brain is just exploding with all of the cool stuff we've talked about. I mean, I haven't really thought deeply about how cloud can transform a business such as yours and then the benefits that brings. It was also really cool to hear about the challenges you faced and how you overcame them. So thank you so much for your time and being so candid and forthcoming and would love to get you back on the show. We'll talk more about how things are going and maybe we'll talk a little bit about ML and AI. I'd love to learn how that would uh, change your business. Sure. Absolutely. Hey, it's been great, Willie. I appreciate you inviting me on. And, you know, I geek out on this stuff. I love talking about it. It's always changing, too. That's the amazing thing. Next time, we'll have probably a whole new set of things to talk about. Yeah, that's right. If you're bored in cloud, just wait a minute. You won't be bored. (laughs) That's right. right. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. Take care. I appreciate it.